0: Thanks, Warren. Warren. It's It's great to be be with you today, today. and uh, thank Thank you for inviting us. us. Uh, It's it's too too bad that Sean can't can't be here, here, but but we're we're glad glad to be be here with you. you. For For those those of you who don't don't know who I am, I uh, pastored in Vander for 15 years, and then then I pastored in Swift Current for 21 years. Before that. Before that, So we're 36, so we're 36 years, years with the AGC. AGC. So, so as, as a pastor in a local, local church, church much, much like Sean, Sean you'd, you'd be focused, focused in on your congregation. You kind of know, know what, what God's, God's doing in your midst and what, what the needs, needs are. are. But for, for me, me now, what's, what's happened is it's just been, been able to open right up and I've been, been able to see what God's doing in 50 churches across Western Canada in the AGC. And you're part of that family. And, and I, I have, have to, to tell you, just before, before we go into God's Word, word that God, God is still, still at work in great ways. I was, I was talking to one, one of our pastors this last, last week, and, and in, in Saskatchewan, the, the, the care homes care were still open to go, open go into uh, until, until about, about a week, week ago. And, and this, this pastor, pastor went in and visited and with a lady in her 90s, shared the Lord with her, and she gave her heart to Jesus Christ and became a believer in Jesus Christ. Her family in Ontario had been praying for years for her to come to know Christ, and God opened up that door the next day they closed the door to, to going, going into, into care homes, homes, and had it been one day later, that may not that have happened. So God's at work amidst all the things that are going on in our country, in our, our provinces, and, and we, are we are very, very blessed, blessed to be with, with you who are here personally, because, because honestly, honestly, in, in, in Manitoba, Manitoba and in BC, this isn't is possible to meet live anymore. So Saskatchewan and Alberta, we're very blessed and privileged. And I don't know about you, but Myself, I'm getting a little bit, bit COVID, COVID weary, a little, a little bit, weary, bit weary of, of the, the rules, rules, the regulations, the this, the that, and, and I'm not, not sure what to do and what, what, not, to do what, do what not to do sometimes, and, and, and that's, that's why, why for me, I long for, for Sundays. Sundays. It's, it's just, just so good to good come back, back to God's, God's people, to get refreshed, refreshed and renewed, and, and take my mind and thoughts off all that stuff out there, and just send them back on Jesus Christ. And, and just, just center the back, back on the board. That's, That's what I want, I want to do with, do with you this, this morning. So, so if you'll, you'll take, take your, your Bibles or your phone apps, whatever, whatever you prefer, I want to take you to Psalm 36, 36 this morning as, morning as we look, as we look into, into God's, God's Word and as, as we, we learn, learn from what the Holy Spirit has for us today. today. Some so of you, you probably, probably read that little book that comes out. It's The Daily Bread, and they have devotionals in that. And a little while ago, they told a story in there, which I thought was a really interesting story. It was about two individuals that were sitting down for coffee, and one was a book enthusiast, and the other one was just a friend. And they were sitting together, and and the subject of books came up, and older books, and the friend said to the book enthusiast, he said, well, you know, my family owns a residence in Europe, and they found a Bible in that attic that had been there for generations. Well, the enthusiast just sat right up and said, well, tell me about that Bible. Like, that could be worth a lot of money. He said, well, I don't even really know. It was printed by some Guten somebody or rather,' he said. And the enthusiast said, Gutenberg? He said, that was one of the first Bibles printed. That thing could be worth a fortune. In fact, he said, one of those versions sold for over $2 million in an auction recently. And a friend said, well, it won't matter because I threw mine out. He said, it wouldn't be worth anything. It had scribblings from some guy named Martin Luther all through it, he said. (laughs) The reality is, that book probably would have been priceless, right? Right. And I suppose today there's there's things that you and I, that, that we would say they're priceless to us. And it might be because of sentimental value or some experience, or, or maybe it actually is worth a lot of money. But priceless is just something that means it's incalculable worth. It's, it's beyond what you could put money on. In fact, MasterCard came out with a slogan, you might remember it a few years back. They said that, uh, they put it this way, that uh, some things money can't buy... But for everything else, there's MasterCard. And I would suggest to you that it's interesting, the Bible does actually say in this psalm, in Psalm 36, that there is something that is priceless. And if you were to look at the scriptures with me, in Psalm 36 and verse 7, it says, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. Some versions say how precious. It's it's that word that means it's an incalculable worth. Something beyond what money could buy. I don't know if you've thought about that recently, let that sink in, but that's what God's love is like. It is priceless. And this little psalm, what David does in 11 verses is he starts out by just saying that people that don't know God, this is kind of what things would describe their life. And then he says, and this is what God's like, and he gives us four things. And then he says, this is what we should do as a result of what God is like. And and so let me just walk this through with you. In verse 1, chapter 36 of the Psalms, David is the writer. He says, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful, and they fail to act wisely or to do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil, and they commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what's wrong. Just think of those descriptions for a minute. There's four things he says there. And what's fascinating to me is the relevance of the Word of God to today, because this was true in David's day, 4,000 years ago, of people who walked his streets. It's true of people who are walking the streets in Swift Current today, where I live, that don't know God. And it's also typical of people walking the streets of Kenmore where you live that don't know God. These are four descriptions of all kinds of people. They don't have a fear of God. The average person that walks down my street in swift current, they don't have a reverence. They don't have an acknowledgement of God. They don't think of God. They just carry on their own work. That's how David said it is in his day. They flatter themselves, and they think they're doing well. Isn't that true of our society? I mean, people don't really see the wrong in their lives. They flatter themselves and say, well, I think I'm doing pretty good, and, and they fail to act wisely, says verse 3, or to do good according to what God would call good. And then down in verse 4, it says, they commit themselves to this sinful course, and they, they don't even realize it, really. And, and that's typical of anybody in any culture of any day that really doesn't know the living God, because that's how mankind is. Our hearts are that way. And then what David does without any warning in verse 5 is he just completely switches gears, and he starts to talk about God. And he says four things that I just want to refresh your hearts on this morning, because I need to remember these things. Theoretically, I know them, but I tend to forget them and work them out in my life. So this is what David says. Pick it up in verse 5 with me. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies, your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep, and you Lord preserve both people and animals. So he begins out and says, Lord, your your love reaches to the heavens. It's it's a word that he uses for the celestial heavens. He's a shepherd. He's probably out in the field, and he's probably looking up at night and and seeing the stars and the moon. He says, Lord, your love is so high, it could reach anybody. It is so far-reaching. It reaches to the celestial heavens, he says. Have you ever thought about that? The love of God has no limits. It's so different than my love. I tend to be kind to those who are kind to me. I tend to love those who love me my love tends to have certain conditions attached, but God is unconditional. And I have a hard time loving my enemies, but he loved me while I was still an enemy to him. God's love is so different than mine. And David just stops and thinks about this and lets it sink in. And Lord, your love, like it it reaches to the heavens. There's no limit to it. It's phenomenal, Lord one thing that's interesting is that anybody on the streets that that doesn't know God that he was describing before, they don't think about the love of God. But if you know Christ, and if you know God the Father through Jesus Christ, the love of God should go through our radar. We we should think of it periodically. And uh, if you know God and follow God, you'll be overwhelmed by his love. Probably the best example I could give you is the Apostle John. So John wrote a book And in the book, he actually doesn't use his own name. He doesn't say, I'm John. He doesn't say Peter and John. He says, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. It seemed like like John was just fascinated with how God loved him, and rightly so. Because if you looked at it, it's interesting that in Luke's gospel, we're told that there's an occasion when Jesus sends these two brothers, James and John, and you know their nickname? The Sons of Thunder? That means they got a temper problem. So he sends them to go out and, and get some things ready for him, and they have to go through a Samaritan village. And the text just says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, that as they went through there, the Samaritans didn't like them, and they didn't welcome them. That just simply means that they threw rocks at them and said, get out of here. Now you don't do that to people who have a hot head and a temper. But that's what happened. They come back to Jesus, and this is what they said in Luke, chapter 9. Lord, this is what happened. Would you like us to just call down fire from heaven and burn them up? Really? Like, they totally missed the mission of Jesus. They totally misunderstood the love of the Lord Jesus. for them. It wasn't the first time. These two same disciples, James and John, sons of thunder, were going through a place, and they saw some people casting out demons. This time it's in Mark's gospel. And there they said, it went up, and it told them to stop casting out demons. You're not part of us. What an exclusive spirit. And then do you remember it was actually James and John again who had the audacity to ask their mother, could you go talk to Jesus? And could you just see if we could get one on the right and one on the left? And, you know, we could just be right there in the kingdom. And and it seems like finally the love of God broke through to John and he understood it. And, And so he calls himself, I'm the guy that Jesus loved, the guy that wanted to burn people up, the guy that told people to quit casting out demons, the guy who said, mom, could you go talk to Jesus? And he was overwhelmed with the love of God to a point that nobody in the whole New Testament writes more about the love of God than John does. And that's what God's love should do. It should captivate our hearts. It's higher than the heavens, he says. And then he says this, your faithfulness to the skies. And he uses a different word. That's why your English Bible would say skies. It's, it's now talking about that atmospheric area. So it doesn't matter where you go. The skies tower over us, don't they? Uh, We've gone all over the world. Everywhere we've gone, there's always been skies over us. Everywhere you go, the sky is over you. It's all encompassing. It's always there. It's always around you. That's the thought David's saying. That's like the faithfulness of God. It's all around you. You'll never escape it. Look back on your life. Can you see the faithfulness of God in your life? Can you see God's faithfulness to you this past week? Can you see God's faithfulness to you today? It's always there. It's in the past. It's in the present. And because he's the same yesterday, today, and will be the same tomorrow, his faithfulness will be there tomorrow as well. It's worth our thinking about, as David talks about, that your faithfulness, it's like the skies. Every single person on this earth comes under the skies, the atmospheric heavens. Sometimes the clouds roll in. We can't see the sun. But if you get in a plane, you go through the clouds, and what do you find? Sunshine and the blue skies again. They're always there. Sometimes in our lives, the storms and the clouds, they, they roll in and we think, God, where are you? you? You've left me. You've abandoned me. No, said David. His faithfulness is like the skies. They're always there. Always there. They never leaves us. What a great and an awesome God we have. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. I hardly even even to comment on this because you live in Canmore, right? You don't have to worry. If next weekend the mountains will still be there so you can go hiking and biking and climbing and all this, they'll be there, right? They're firm, they're unmovable, they're dependable. They are always there. That's what David says. God, your righteousness is like that. It's always there. See, my difficulty comes in in this is that sometimes I judge God's righteousness by how it affects me. And so if things don't go good, I think, well, God, you're not doing right. God, this isn't working out. But God's righteousness is unmovable, it's firm, it's dependable like the mountains. Now, we spend a lot of years in B.C., and I grew up in Vancouver, and we still have family, so we go back and forth through these Rockies all the time. And when we do, and it's Wendy and I driving, I always hear this. Oh, I love these mountains. They are so awesome. Oh, don't they just make you feel so great and just, the mountains inspire us, don't they? They cause a reaction within us. Now, David says that's what God's righteousness should do. Because our God is righteous, only righteous, always righteous, it should cause a reaction in us so that we say, God, you are amazing. You always do what's right and only right. You are a righteous God, a pure God, a holy God, an awesome God. That's what David is saying. So he's taking us from the, the celestial heavens, Now he's taking us to the skies, and he's taking us to the mountains. There's only one place left, so watch what the text says. Your justice, like the great deep. Now we're going down deep, deep, deep into the water, deep into the oceans. The the deepest lake is about 5,300 and some feet. It's in Russia. And the deepest part of the ocean is Mariana's Trench, which is just off the coast of the Philippines, and that's about 35,000 feet deep. It's like over seven miles deep. If you went out to a lake today, especially these nice, pristine lakes in the mountains, and took a bucket of water, you would see right through the water to the bottom of the bucket, wouldn't you? It, well, it might be ice-covered now, so you dig a hole first. But if you went out to the ocean, did the same thing. Because water is pure, and you can see through it. But we all know that when you look over the side of the boat, you can only see so far, right? You can't see any further because it's too deep. And David says, God, this is what your justice is like. It's so deep. We can't see it. We can't fathom it. We can't understand it. But our problem with God's justice is this. We say, okay, so if God is loving and if God is just, then why? And then we fill in a blank. Why is there war? Why do people die? Why do, and all these things happen, and how could He be just? David just says, just remember the justice of your God. You can't fathom the depth of it as much as you try. Let me just give you an illustration from our lives. Our 24-year-old son was on his way to work on a winter's day in Saskatchewan, and his car slid out of control, and he was killed instantly in that car accident. In four months' time, he was scheduled to go to Japan with OMF as a missionary and give his life to service. He had learned Japanese. He had raised the support. He was young and loved the Lord Jesus and wanted to win people to Christ. And we said, God, where's your justice and righteousness in this? Like, we don't get this. We don't understand this. I can tell you that there isn't a day that goes by that we don't think about our son. And I don't understand the justice of God. I don't understand the depths of the righteousness of God. But what's interesting to me is the Bible simply says to me, Rob, if you put your faith in me, this is what I'm telling you I'm like. I'm not fully explaining it to you. I'm just telling you to believe me. I'm telling you to believe that my love, it reaches to the highest heavens. I'm asking you to believe that my faithfulness, it reaches to the skies. I'm asking you to trust me that my righteousness is like the firmest, highest, unmovable mountain, and that my justice is like the deep. So you know what we decided as parents? Is that I still can't explain to you why that happened. That makes no sense to me. I don't know if it ever will on this side of eternity. If you've lost a child, you understand what I mean. There's pain all the time. But I simply know this, that when I can't see his hand, I will trust his heart. I will trust his character. And that's what the word of God calls us to do, is to trust in these four qualities of our God. Now then, he's taken us from the celestial heavens to the skies, to the mountains, to the depths of the sea. What's left? Well, what's left is this little strip of land that we live on, earth, right? And so watch what he says in the text you preserve, Lord, both people and animals. Here's that little strip of land that we live on. So we've gone from the highest heavens to the greatest depths, and here we are, and David says, and as I think about this, Lord, it's amazing to me, but you preserve, you keep, literally, 7.8 billion people on this earth, and all the billions upon billions of creatures, and birds of the air, and fish of the sea. Now listen, if he does that, if he causes every person's heart to beat without them asking their heart to beat or think about it. If you take a breath and you never think about your breath on a common day, and he does that, he preserves and he keeps you, can you not trust him? Can you not trust him with whatever the issues of our life are? 7.8 billion. In fact, Job said this. He said, you know, if God was to take our breath and withdraw it from us, we'd all return to dust because it's a gift from him, our lives are. He preserves our lives says David. It's so good to think about God. It's so good to just stop from the week and all that stuff that goes on out there and all that stuff on the news and the conspiracy and all that stuff. I Think, I just want to think about God for a few minutes. I just want to renew my heart in God. Now, watch how he closes it. So first of all he said, here's these people who, who are living on this earth and they, they have no nothing on their register about God. They they think they're wise in their lives. They don't see any problems in their lives or doing this. But yet this is what God is like And then he says this, if we understand the character of God, this is what we'll do. Watch what he says. How priceless, here we come back to that slogan by MasterCard again, that uh, some things money can't buy. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. How priceless is your unfailing love, he said. People, then the context, this is the people of God, they take refuge under your wings. Let me just ask you, when life falls apart for you, when you have a bad day and nothing goes well, where do you find this refuge? Where do you renew yourself? Where do you find your strength? Where do you go to in the storm? Well, the people of God, if you understand his character, you'll take refuge in him. If you don't understand the character of God, if you don't think on the character of God, you will not take refuge in him. But the people who know God, they flee to him. Actually, it's an interesting picture that he draws on here. They take refuge in It's Literally, they run to, they run under your wings. He's drawing you a picture. It's a picture in their day that you would know if you were a farmer today, and that is simply of a, of a hen. And, and that hen has chicks in the farmyard, and when that eagle or heart, hawk swoops over, what do those chicks do? They all run under the wings of the hen. That's the picture. So that's what, what David is saying, is that, Lord, your people who know you, who know these things about you that I've just listed, when trouble happens, what do they do? They run under your wings. They flee to you because you're their refuge. Is that what we do? I need to learn to do that more. Because so often I'm more run around in circles, like all around the front and finally I run under, right? Jesus, interestingly enough, he he used the same illustration. And I wanted to just read it to you because uh, he speaks to the people. And in Matthew 23, 37, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And he stops at the top just before you go down into Jerusalem. And he says these words, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I long to gather you, your children, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. And what's really fascinating to me about that is in Luke's account of the same story, same words, he adds one detail. He says, and then Jesus wept. Think about that. The people of God who knew God, who would not make God their refuge, that brought tears to the eyes of Jesus. That's one of three times Jesus cries. Isn't that fascinating? In other words, when I run all over the (laughs) farmyard, instead of running to my Savior and taking refuge under his wings, it grieves him. It pains his heart. He weeps like that. And I just think, Rob, I got I to learn that. I got to know that more. I can't forget that, that I need to take refuge under his wings because that's exactly what David says to us. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. That's the first thing they do. If you know those qualities of God, that's what you should do. Second thing he says is this. They feast on the abundance of your house you give them. Drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. What's your concept of God? You know, for a lot of years, I, I looked at God and thought, well, God's kind of up there, just, just ready to get me if I step out of line. God is, is this God who's who's harsh. God is this God who's who's stingy. Did you notice what it says? It says they feast on the abundance of your house. That's an interesting word uh, in the Hebrew because it actually means the fatness of your house. It's kind of a weird expression, but let me explain it to you. So in the Old Testament, when they had sacrifices— The fat part of the animal was the choice, the best part. And so sometimes the priests were allowed to eat that in God's presence. And other offerings, they were just to take that best choicest meat, that nice fat meat, and just sacrifice it only to the Lord because it's the best part. David's given us a picture of God. God is generous. God is abundant. They feast on the fatness of your house we put it to you in in words that we would understand in Alberta a lot better. Alberta beef, right? So you got that prime rib that's marveled with the fat, and it's so juicy and so tender and so good. It's the fatness. So David is saying that those people that know these qualities about you, they not only run under the shadow of your wings, but they sit down at your table because there's an abundance there for you. You're so generous. You are so abundant, God. You always have what we need. That's our God. We can't ever forget that. We, we need that picture of our God. Because in our world, we're losing that picture fast of a, of a generous person, of a person who's willing to share in abundance. Everybody's getting real inward turned. Remember our God. The people who know you, says David, they feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from this river of delights. I like what David says later on in Psalm uh, chapter 16, verse 11. He says, you've made known to me the path of life you will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now listen, admit it or not, we're all hedonists. We all like pleasure. David says, we're going to get that fulfilled when we get to heaven. There will be eternal pleasures all around. Do you get the picture of God? Psalm 1611. That's your God. He is a God who delights to give you pleasures, delights to give you joy. That's the God that we know. Not only just these great qualities, but that helps us when we go through those troubles. That helped Wendy and I when we lost our son. So know that these are the qualities and characteristics of our God, and that we can take refuge in Him. And I can tell you from personal testimony that actually we have feasted on his abundance. He has been enough for us. He has been sufficient for us that's our God. He's a great and an awesome God. And David knew him like you and I know him. And you give them drink from the rivers of delight. So that river is that picture. It's unending. A lake doesn't have that. But a river just has that source. And then he says, it's like a, a fountain that just keeps flowing. That's the abundance and the goodness of God for you. It will never, ever run out. And then the last thing I want you to notice is this. And that's in verse 10. And he's praying here. He says, Continue your love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. It just seems a little bit funny to pray this way. And it seems funny because he's just said all these things about God. So why is he praying about the things that he already knows? Why would you pray about something that you know, right? I would suggest two things. One is he's just echoing back to God who he is, saying, God, Continue that love. I know your love reaches to the heavens. Continue that righteousness. I know that righteousness is like the mountains. Just continue it to me. It's just echoing back what God's already said. But then the other thing is, and this is what I find in my life, and maybe you do too, but sometimes we just need reminding of the things we already know. (laughs) It's not the things I don't know that I struggle with. It's actually the things that I know. It's actually the things that I should know better. And so he's reminding himself of those things that he already knows. He knows God will be with him because his love reaches to the highest heavens. And he knows that God will be faithful to him. It's like the skies around him. And he knows already that his justice is like the great deep. And he knows already that it's precious. But he prays that because he's reminding himself of what he needs to know. That's one of the things I love about going to church on Sunday. That's one of the things that you can enjoy about listening online is that we can just replenish again, right? Those things that we already know because we come through a week and we get stretched this way and pulled that way and we, all these things we go through and it's just so good to come back to God's presence. And it's just so good to know him, isn't it? to know his love, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his justice. I mean, how, how can you not help say what David says in verse 7? Oh, how precious is your unfailing love, Lord. Those people that know you, Lord, I want to be one of those people this week that, that take refuge under the shadow of your wings. I want to be like one of those little chicks that just runs under your wings rather than runs around and causes you to weep like the people of Jerusalem did, because you longed to gather them, and they would resist it. They'd go everywhere but. And Jesus wept over that. This week, I want to be one of those people who just drinks from that fountain of life, that just drinks from that river that never runs dry, just replenishes my soul. We have so much to be grateful for, don't we? Vern, I so much appreciate the song you started with. I don't know if you you think back to the words. You probably didn't pick them up. I, I never heard it. It talked about the justice of God. It talked about those very things. God set the table for us this morning from the very first song because he wants to speak into our hearts. and He wants to remind us of these great truths. This is who I am. You might not fully understand it. You might struggle with believing, but I'm just telling you. This is who I am, says God. Believe me. Come and drink from the fountain. Come and drink from the waters that never run dry and come and feast at my table. Another remarkable thing, David's a, a shepherd, so When he's leading his sheep, the shepherd and the sheep drank from the same source. They would get their water from the same source. So Jesus is our shepherd, and we're the sheep. Where did Jesus drink from? Where did Jesus find his strength from? The Father? What are we to do? The same source, right? That's why Jesus said to them in John chapter 14 and 15, he goes on he says, you know what? My joy could actually be in you. The Father's joy could actually be in you because you're, you're drinking from him. You're feasting on the abundance of his table. Jesus prayed in John 17, and I'll close with this verse, but it's just an amazing verse to let that sink in. He's praying for those who believed in him, his disciples, saying, Father, you loved them with the same love You love me. Do you ever think that God loves the Son, Jesus Christ, more than he loves you? According to Jesus' prayer, it's not true. The Father loves us as followers the same way he loved his Son. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that amazing to let sink in that that he loves me like he loved his own Son? Just feast on that. Just drink from those waters as you enter into a week, and we're going out into a place again that's dry and parched and... And people are thirsty and hungry and looking for answers and fulfillment, and we've got them. we found them in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you inspired David, that shepherd, on one occasion to think through the qualities of who you are, and that he wrote them down, and you preserved it because you wanted us to hear it in 2020. That's phenomenal to think about. But it's not really when we think of who you are.
1: Your righteousness, your love, your justice,
0: your faithfulness. Father, may we come to those waters and drink deeply of them this week. This week, Father, may we be those kind of people who feast on the abundance of who you are. You're a generous and a good God.
1: And so we thank you
0: today. We commit our lives to you today as the people of God for a brand new week. Thank you that you'll walk with us. Continue, said David, your love and righteousness to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.